The whole concept of fear is really the greatest workplace adversary that women face. As a leader, you have to find ways to keep people included in the conversation, acknowledge what they've added, and keep it in the forefront of your mind. I so wish that I could go back in time and talk to the 20-something leader, Brenda, to say, you know, leadership is not about going to your business or going to your job to get something. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for listening. It's good to be here. It's good to have you listening. If you've been listening to the show for a while, it's so good to have you back. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And if you're new here or you're newer, it's wonderful to have you. My name is Jess. I'm the creator of this show. I'm a professional in the nine to five space. I'm also a women's career and leadership coach. And today's podcast covers so many of the big topics that I know I've struggled with and that I think are pretty much universal, one of which is fear and the ways in which our fears, sometimes in very sneaky ways, impact our experiences at work and lead us to feel confused or frustrated or lead us to get stuck in certain patterns. And there's so much that Brenda shares in here that I think is so illuminating. And it's also such good motivation to get to know your inner world and to really start to excavate and look at what is happening with you internally, inside, in your body, in your thoughts, in your emotions, when you find yourself struggling. I think sometimes it can be hard to look at that. I can tell you from my experiences, when you start to like really look at what's going on inside of you and like what you're really thinking and feeling when you get really honest with yourself, it can get a little scary and it can get a little uncomfortable. But when you do that work, you also start to like release some of the pressure, like releasing pressure on a valve. Because I think sometimes those darker, more difficult emotions and the self-loathing and just some of these harder, more painful things that I think we all experience as humans, we push them down, but then they pop up in, in other ways. And so if you struggle with insecurity or fear or using your voice or feeling confident or getting stuck in frustrating patterns that you're trying to break, I think that this conversation will be really, really helpful for you. And Brenda is a return guest, and I was so excited to have her back because the first time I interviewed her, everything she said really resonated with me. And she was so honest about her own stories. And you'll hear a little bit about her struggles with burnout and some of her career experiences. And she's just so insightful as a coach speaking about some of the struggles that we all face in our professional lives. I think this one is going to be really helpful. Hopefully you'll feel seen and less alone as you listen to this. And I'm excited to dive in. Also this month, and always, but especially the month that this episode's coming out, come join me in the Facebook group because I'm doing some videos in there, trainings 
on stage fright and what to do about stage fright when you get it in meetings, whether you get it when you're leading meetings or participating in meetings. It's something that I know a lot of you are experiencing. It's something that I have experienced. Sometimes I still do. It's, <laughs> I have a lot to say about it. I've been through many, many, many iterations of that really intense fear. And I want to share with you what I know in case it helps you. Probably the most important thing for you to know is that you're not alone and that it just gets better and better over time if you're willing to be like super, super brave. Like that's the main takeaway. But I'm going to go into much more detail and share a little bit about my experience and how I deal with stage fright so that if you want to dig deeper and start to really work through it, you have some tools and some guidance. So if you are interested, come join that community. I will link the Facebook group below. It's called The Art of Speaking Up. The women in it are like so awesome and cool and confident and smart. And it's just really fun for me to get to meet you in there too, because podcasting is a one-way medium. So like I just put out this MP3 file and I it does in some ways just like go down a black hole because I I don't meet you. I don't see you. And unlike other forms of social media like Instagram or YouTube, there's no like comments section. You know, it is a very, podcasting is very individual medium. And I think that's why it's so fun and nourishing to listen to podcasts. But then sometimes when I actually like meet one of you or see you join the Facebook group or get to work with you, I'm like, oh my gosh, a real human. And it's so exciting. So <laughs> all of this is to say, come join me in the Facebook group. I'm going to link it in the show notes. And this month you'll find trainings in there and tips on stage fright. And for now, I'm going to transition into the interview with Brenda, which I think you're going to love. It's so full of wisdom and insights and nuggets. So let's meet Brenda for our second time. I'll also link her first episode below. And yeah, let's dive in. I hope you enjoy. So I'm Brenda Baird. And I'm a, an executive leadership coach. And when I get asked that question, my quick response usually is that I help people break out of prison. And then after that shock and awe sort of falls off, <laughs> then I just really, uh, I confess that what I do is I help individuals to break down those mental prisons and barriers that we get into to help them live their best life. I've really had a diverse career and it has evolved through a variety of settings. I was a small business owner for many, many, many years. Then I was in executive leadership, uh, learning and development for a global pharmaceutical company. And the one thing about all of my work, though, when I think about it, is there's this common theme of just helping competent leaders and high-performing teams to just clear out those barriers and you know, and help them to get the outcomes that they that they're really looking for. So I've coached hundreds and hundreds of leaders. And it, what really jazzes me up about my work is just walking alongside people and just helping them to see that they have other choices and, and to bring these new creative ways to their leadership so they have greater impact in all domains of their life, whether that be work or home or self, most importantly, in community. So my credentials, um, organizational development from DePaul University in Illinois. I'm a certified coach with the Institute of Professional Excellence in Coaching, also known as IPEC. I hold a PCC credential with the International Coaching Federation, and I'm a trained facilitator. But today, my love and my passion and my time is really focused on executive and leadership coaching. 
Fantastic. And we're going to go back to your nine to five career. Mm-hmm. Many women who listen to this show are in some sort of corporate career, nine to five career, and not quite feeling confident and maybe struggling with their self-esteem or to show up how they want to. Do you have any of those types of struggles? Or if not, what was hard for you at the beginning when you were in your nine to five? Yeah, so nine to five actually felt more like 24 (laughs) seven. I mean, family matters, whether that be with my husband and children or just other, you know, elderly parents, you just pick a topic and balancing that against the work of my career. And then the other thing that always pops up for me is equality, making sure that I was being paid uh, fairly and that I had the same opportunities as some of my male counterparts. You know, that nine to five workday was actually created to sort of distinguish between work and home. Like that was supposed to be our boundary. But today, more than ever, um, we work so many hours and our jobs are so demanding that um, women are just juggling all of those things. And now in this time of pandemic, uh, it's really hard to sustain. So those were probably my my biggest challenges of working the nine to five. And that was true whether I was a small business owner or the or the corporate job, which was really supposed to be nine to five. Uh, yeah, it's 24-7. <laughs> and we're going to talk a little bit about fear and insecurity. Those are certainly things that I'm very familiar with. And as a coach, I'm sure that this comes up a lot in their work. I think You know, one thing that I've been really interested in hearing from coaches about is sort of this disconnect between what people are experiencing and what's being talked about out in the open. So I think many people experience fear, experience insecurity, struggle with confidence. I think it's very common, but it's not talked about that much. You don't see a lot of open conversation around it. And I think that leads to people feeling alienated, isolated, and even ashamed because there's this illusion that I'm the only one struggling, that everyone else is okay. And I just wanted to get your take on that. Yeah. So what was coming up for me when you were describing that, the the word loneliness just kept coming up and up and up again. And I can remember those days when I thought that Nobody really understood what was happening to me. Nobody really cared the, you know, the, the demands that were being placed on my time and what was happening to me. And um, it was just a particularly lonely, a lonely time. And I think what happens to us when we are feeling the intense loneliness of this phenomenon is that we, we tend to not want to speak up. We just sit sit and be quiet because so often what comes up for us is this internal dialogue that often tells us that we're just not smart enough or we're not worthy or we're not good enough. Because if we were, we could have figured this out, right? Those other people look like they've got it figured out. And and in reality, we're all all of us are sitting around in the same loneliness, in the same lack of confidence, with the same struggles. So I think you're right. We don't talk about it because we oftentimes think we look weak or not smart. Yeah. And I have this theory. I'd be really curious to get your thoughts. I have this theory that some of it's coming from, I think, an outdated corporate culture that hasn't really 
humanized itself enough to acknowledge some of the softer human elements of the workplace, like the fact that part of growing and getting strong is struggling and being in really difficult situations. I've found that a lot of times we focus on our professional development from the angle of, you know, you perform well all the time, everything's always good. And yes, of course, we want to do good work. We want to drive results. We want to drive outcomes. But I think it's also really healthy to talk about, okay, what's coming up? What's challenging? And I feel like we haven't created a lot of space for that. And as a result, then I think it it can build on our own perfectionism because we're getting those same messages. And so what I would like to say about that is that we as women need to remember that the constructs and the rules and the boundaries of career were established by men before we ever got there. And so we are now coming into this arena with those constructs in place, meaning this is how business gets done. And the thing about that is as a female leader, we often approach problems and decision-making in different ways. We also approach relationship to others in different ways than men. So we have to understand the boundaries in which we work in. We understand that empathy is one of the number one skills that we're seeing required for leadership today as this big shift is moving in corporate culture. That's the strength of a female leader. But oftentimes we can get in our own way. And we do that with some patterns that we get from how we were raised, the limited beliefs that we get from religion or culture or parenting, you know, important relationships that we've had in our life have sort of etched out what a woman should or shouldn't do when it comes to speaking her mind, being a leader, pushing back on ideas. And all of that, we have to really take a hard look at um, the constructs that we're working in. But remember that we bring to the table one of the strongest skills that are needed today, and that's empathy for others. Absolutely. And my hope is that over time, it'll be recognized more and more as being valuable in some of these more stereotypically feminine qualities, you know, I think the the feminine masculine binary has limitations and it can be helpful in certain ways. But I just think this idea of treating each other as humans and showing compassion towards each other can really transform an entire culture, an entire workplace, and can transform the experience of the individual. So the individual who's struggling or who doesn't feel confident suddenly feels like the people have their back, the people are supporting them, and then that's what elevates the performance because all of a sudden you're not fearful anymore. You realize that you have the support that you need to grow. And I think that that's so important. Yeah, absolutely. The whole concept of fear is really the greatest workplace adversary that women face when no matter what level you are in the organization and no matter what your ambitions are in your career, our biggest adversary is fear. And and our own personal energy patterns uh, give those fears energy and power. And so Sometimes it's difficult for people to hear, but the reality is that in some cases, we we are really the cause of some of our biggest heartaches in the workplace and our biggest disappointments because we've allowed those fears to have power and um, drive our drive our decisions and drive our life. And they and it not only does it drive our life 
at work, it drives our entire life everywhere. Every domain of life is driven by these thought patterns that we have, these inner beliefs that we have about, am I worthy enough to share what I think? Is it okay for me to share what I think? And if you have a room full of, you know, 10 people and one third of them are women, you got one third of the people in the room thinking, oh my gosh, do I belong here? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes, you belong here. And yes, we do need to hear what you have to say. And the only way to get to that is to clear out some of that inner dialogue. Yeah, it's really tricky. I mean, it's tricky for so many reasons. One is that beyond gender, then when you bring things like race and cultural background into the equation, then that balance gets even more imbalanced. And the second is that these beliefs that we have about ourselves, these fears, these thoughts, they are housed within our minds and they are coming from us. But so many of them come from cultural conditioning and come from the way been raised and what our culture tells us is true and isn't true, whether that's explicit or whether that's implicit. And then it's 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 up to us to work through those. And that was actually one of the reasons that I started this show and that I had so much fire around this topic because I was seeing a, a lot of women's empowerment that did feel a little bit like shaming and blaming. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you need to fix this about yourself and fix this about yourself and fix this about yourself. And While it's true that we are empowered to make choices that can help us feel better, I think it's also just important for us to remember that a lot of the conditioning we have, the way that we think of ourselves, the way we treat ourselves, come from culture, come from outside of us, and then we absorb those things. And so I think I really like to come at it from positive perspective, a perspective of empowerment that says, you know, like, yes, you have these struggles within you, but at the same time, you have other pieces within you that are really strong and powerful. And it's really about bringing those out and allowing those to eclipse some of the other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just, you just nailed it, Jess. Our fears are um, constructed and we hold on to them. And <laughs> the thing that I tell my clients, Jess, is if you're driving down the road and you run across a skunk and it smells horrible, and perhaps you even hit the skunk and it's on your vehicle, you're going to have skunk smell for a really long time. You wouldn't put that smell in a jar and carry it around with you forever so that you are reminded never to hit a skunk again. No, you, you, you experience it. It's discomforting. You don't like it. You let it come in. You notice it. You learn from it and you let it go. And and you don't carry a skunk smell around, but that's what we do with our fears. We have an experience. It's uncomfortable. We never want to have it again. The personal mind tells us, um, I'm here to protect you. So don't worry. I will never let you forget that that happened to you. And it will never let it happen again. And it turns into a fear and we hold it and we carry it, you know, for all of our lives. What happens is when we're in similar situations, like you said, that fear actually gets stimulated. And I don't mean that the same event happens again. What I mean is an event happens that sort of stirs an emotion in us that feels similar to that day. And our mind kicks in and says, oh, and just, the things it says to try to get you to stop. I mean, if you could just put those messages out on paper in front of you, you could see just how absolutely ridiculous they are. And we need to learn how to let those experiences we have, we almost have to relive them and let them go 
so that we can have a clearer mind to make good decisions about what's happening in this moment. And I see it in every client that I have, the fears that they hold on to that they don't even realize. It's an unconscious thing. And when you can get them to, to experience it and really clear that out and then look at the experience at hand, it's typically never at all um, what they think. You know what's so interesting about the fear thoughts? So I definitely relate to that, like to when you write them down and you look at them, you realize they're very exaggerated. So it's like, oh, everyone's going to laugh at me or I'm going to get fired from my job. Like they can get really out there in terms of how unrealistic they are. Yeah. But I've also noticed, I, for me, they sometimes show up as things that seem very true, very reasonable. And I don't even find the, that they're fear-based until I look really, really closely. So things like, you know, a common one is sort of if you're sitting in a meeting and you're one of the more junior people in the meeting, yeah, I think it's really easy to make a very responsible case that you shouldn't speak up because you want to be respectful of the people there who have been there longer than you and things like that. But I find a lot of times when I ask myself, do I really believe from a logical perspective that I shouldn't be speaking in this room if I'm in this room? Like, no, that, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. So why does it make sense to me when I'm sitting in the meeting? And part of it's because I'm afraid. So I'm adopting that belief system that feels really reasonable. That's allowing me to keep quiet. So those fears are really real. You know, they're, they're fears that come from our life experiences, but when I have clients who experience something like that, where, you know, they're saying that they don't speak up in a meeting, I have them journal um, these questions to, to just really get a, a feel for what's actually happening for them. So the first question is, I'm afraid of, and they fill in the blank. The second one is, this fear is caused by fill in the blank. As a result of not dealing with fear, I am and the fourth one is, if I take constructive steps to address this fear, fill in the blank. And so some examples of this is, what am I afraid of if I speak up in this meeting? Well, I'm afraid I might get fired. Seems like a very extreme thought, but it's very, very real to some people. Um, this fear is caused by the fact that I don't get any kind of validation from the people in this room, uh, or, or praise or recognition could be. And as a result of not dealing with this fear, I am completely stressed out. I'm overeating. Um, I'm not sleeping. I'm gaining weight, you know, fill in the blank. If I have a con take constructive steps to address this fear, almost all of my clients will tell me their quality of life Im improves, that they'll just have a higher quality of work life as well as home life. And, and that's just really what I found. So identifying the fear and seeing how that holds you back, because that fear is actually driving our life, not only at work, but at home. And so when you can identify it, know where it comes from and release it, then your quality of life just becomes better. So we don't want to listen to that personal mind of ours that creates that inner dialogue. We can't shut it off. We can't fight it, but we can tune it out. And listen to our intellectual mind that's going to come up with the creative ideas that you need to share in the room that, yes, they need to be heard. And, yes, you should share your ideas. And one of the challenges we have as women is that we tend to think that if we share an idea and it doesn't get 
you know, adopted by the team or great praise about it, that somehow we're a failure. And so that keeps us from sharing those ideas. But if you just would observe for a moment, the men who sit around the table with us, they're all often sharing ideas that are lame brained, as we might want to call them. And we might even say that in our own minds, that's a lame brain idea. And that judgment just fuels the fear that if we speak up, we'll be judged as well. And so there's a, is a, a very complex thing that's happening here. But the reality is sharing your ideas, you won't know if it's a good idea unless you share it. And it's okay to share it. And it's okay if your idea is, you know, shot down or not adopted or, you know, people don't grab hold of it as the most genius thing that's ever happened in the world. For women in the workplace and women who are growing in their careers, the not speaking up is the bigger obstacle to their advancement than speaking up and expressing something that doesn't get fully, you know, adopted in the room. Yeah. I mean, I've started to think of sharing bad ideas as a leadership skill. I think, I don't think that you can advance or get to a higher level of leadership without, it's not about only sharing good ideas. It's about not having that level of inhibition when you're in a room having a discussion. And I think also what could be helpful for people to understand and think about too is that different discussion formats require different levels of precision. So like, for example, if a CEO is giving an earnings report to the public, right? Every idea that's shared needs to be good. Otherwise, there could be major consequences. But if we're, you know, the six of us in a room having a meeting about a project that our team is about to start, and we're figuring out how this is going to happen, that is a space where the quality and the precision of the ideas should not be so high because it's actually going to prevent the discussion from happening. And so I think what we really need to remind ourselves is that messy discussion is part of it. And to fully participate in those messy discussions, you have to be sharing messy ideas, messy questions. And that's something that you need to get comfortable doing because as a leader, you're going to be in those rooms and you are expected to participate. And there's no like secret formula for only sharing something correct. Yeah. I'll tell you, when I was um, the director of learning and development and I pulled teams together to help solve a problem, when I pulled them into the room, I never once thought that someone in the room is going to have the answer or that this group of people, they know what to do. I pulled them in the room to sort of digest what the problem was. And let's look at What's the most we can do? What's the least we can do? What, you know, and all of these ideas just had to come out. And if someone said something that was, this is the most we can do, and we didn't have budget for it, or if it wasn't realistic, or we're kind of ahead of ourselves, you know, as a leader, you have to find ways to keep people included in the conversation, acknowledge what they've added. And keep it in the forefront of your mind. And so I think it's important for the others in the room to understand that if I call a meeting to talk about a problem, I don't have the answer. I don't think you have the answers, but collectively we can come up with some good solutions. And it is a brainstorming time. If it wasn't, we could just, you know, if we knew everything, we could just call on that person and just let, you know, just go with that. I mean, it's just not how brainstorming works. It's not how making decisions work. And the person who speaks up with an idea and takes the risk in sharing the idea, 
oftentimes is the one that gets promoted. And for women, sometimes we see that in others and we think, God, but they never come up with an idea that's any good, right? And so we we do get caught up in this perfectionism trap that we have. And the problem with that perfectionism, that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day, Jess, but so many times as women, we are perfectionists. We, we cross every T, we dot every I, we're overly repaired, prepared. Uh, we master our jobs to the point that we are not replaceable, right? And what I'm here to tell you is men don't face work like that. They don't worry about that, especially if the um, ambition and desire is to be in a top leadership role. What they understand and know is that perfectionism isn't going to work up here. It's just not. So being so you know hands on the work and so convinced that it has to be perfect, it's going to flame you out as you uh, rise in your career. Does that mean that we don't do good work or that we don't meet our deadlines? That doesn't mean that at all. But the ruminating on perfection is the piece that we have to learn to let go of. Yes, I agree. And it's really also unfortunate that a lot of environments don't treat everyone equally and demand perfection, whether it's on the dimension of gender or on the dimension of race. The the stakes aren't even. And that's a really unfortunate reality that I think many people have faced and have experienced in their careers. But I think at least in my perspective, and everyone I'm sure has their own unique perspective on this, but my perspective is that your greatest performance, like your actual true genius is a layer deep beyond the perfectionism. So you have like this perfectionistic ideal that you're trying to achieve and it creates tension and it creates fear and it destroys creativity And you are trying to do your best work, but ironically, in that state, you can't really tap into your flow and the part of you that's a little more effortless that kind of just comes out. And I think that requires you to just let go a little bit and have a little bit of trust that you have an innate ability within you that's going to come to the surface. And I think that can be very challenging to build and cultivate. I can speak to my experience because it takes time to have the faith in your career that you are going to figure it out, that you do have something that you can tap into every time because you can't always articulate what that is and you can't articulate where the ideas and solutions come from. So there's a level of trust there that just like, if I just let go and have faith that I can do this, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to be taking a shower and the solution is just going to come to me and I'm going to understand exactly how we need to move forward. And I think that's challenging for those of us that are type A, that like to be in control, that want to have the entire process mapped out. Yeah, for sure. I actually, when coaching female leaders through situations similar to that, the two most important things that I hope they get from our coaching sessions, one is this important awareness, Jess, that everything that happens to us in the outside world is not about us. That sometimes is a revelation that gives such relief to women because we have internalized so many things through these held beliefs and fears that we hold, that we think we somehow are the causation of all these things, of everyone's bad behavior. Somehow I have to act a certain way to prevent that from happening again. When And to have the awareness in those situations that 
I have no control of all this out here. It has nothing to do with me. That has everything to do with them. And what's driving their behavior? We have no idea what that is. And the second thing that is important in what you said is those inner messages that you're hearing, they're not you. They're not the real you. They're this personal mind that's been constructed out of our fears. And to keep that in the forefront of our memory, that my world experiences are not about me and this inner voice is the construct of my fears. And to keep that in the forefront can move it aside. It helps relieve the distractions that help us from being, you know, they prevent us from being creative and expressing ourselves and being confident in what we think because we're so preoccupied with, you know, what that personal mind is trying to tell us. I agree. And I don't know what your experience has been. I'd be really curious. But for me, it's a constant coming back to that constant. I keep forgetting. Oh, that's the inner critic. Oh, that's perfectionism. I mean, I think about this stuff all the time. I talk about this stuff on the podcast. And still my default state is forgetfulness. And I have to bring myself back with compassion and with gentleness and without beating myself up for forgetting or getting caught up in it. But I think that is really one of the most challenging things about being human is like living with this brain and learning to become friends with it because I think it's so powerful. It's also can be really destructive and it's really up to us to take responsibility for all of that. Yeah. And I think sometimes I can feel resistant to that because I can feel like, well, I shouldn't have to take responsibility for it, but it's empowering, but it's also hard. And I feel like it's a day-to-day, moment-to-moment practice. And for me, when there's gentleness underlying it, it helps a lot because it feels like we're all babies learning to walk in some ways as we remember to get out of this thought paradigm that we're in that tells us that we're not doing good enough. Yeah. So what what came up for me as you were um, expressing yourself, and it's so beautiful, I think a lot of women are going to identify with Uh, what you just said, is that this, why does this keep happening to me? Why does this keep coming up for me? And the truth of it is that whatever the fear is that you've bottled up alongside your skunk smell, you haven't let it go yet. And so the mind triggers the emotions and the emotions then send off, yep, you're right, here it is again. And the messages just grow. So it takes a bit of work but the workplace is the absolutely perfect place for us to explore that and understand it. And uh, oftentimes we get stuck in our heads. And so in order to clear that out, really what has to happen is we have to drop down into our heart. That's for men or women. You have to drop down into your heart to say, what's really true in this situation? And what is it that I'm feeling right now? And where did that come from? And then realize That something that may have happened 10 years ago or even 15 minutes ago, you're now allowing it to get in the way of this moment that's in front of you. And that's really all we have in life is the moment that's in front of us. And so you're not unique in what happens, but um, it's what I hear often is this, oh, why does this keep happening to me? And it's because it hasn't, you haven't opened that jar and said, out okay, this happened to me. This is what I can learn from it. Now I'm going to let it go. And for me, what I have to do in those moments of times when I'm reminded of something that was discomforting or something, sometimes we want something so badly even that we push so hard to have it happen. 
is to just drop down into my heart space and think of something that's so very dear to me. And for me, that's my my granddaughter. She's 18 months old. All I have to do is look at a photograph of her or think of her in my mind, and I drop into my heart and I smile. It's automatic. And so I recommend everyone find your thing, whatever it is. If it's a view of nature, if it's a family member, if it's whatever, whatever it is, and think of that when you feel like this is happening to me again, it can drop you down into your heart space and you can then feel the emotion and let it go so that you can be fully present for the moment in front of you. Especially at work, if you're if you're all that stuff, you won't even hear what someone else has to say. You could even be one of those people who's repeating what's already been said in the room, just formatting it in a different way, and the whole group looking like, didn't we just talk about that? Because you didn't hear it. You can't hear it if you're distracted by these inner messages. Yeah. Well, first of all, like if I had heard that in my 20s, I would have <gasps> been like, no, that's that's the wrong advice. I would have been like, no, I just need to get better at my job. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm just not good at my job. I just like, it's me. There's no heart space. And now I'm like, yeah, that's literally the answer to everything. <laughs> like that's what we all need to be doing. That needs to be a skill that we're evaluated on in our performance reviews. I just feel like the more that we all do this, I think the more we create healthy culture. And, and I think the more we remember that we're all human and we're all going through struggles. We all have things that are difficult. And I think sometimes we forget that and it puts us in the opposite space. And I think when you can slow down and come back to that, I think like that's the actual definition of leadership is accessing that within you because that helps you view any problem or situation from a completely different lens, completely different angle, such that you're going to see solutions that you absolutely could not see before you got into that state of being. Yeah. I so wish that I could have gone back. I could go back in time and talk to the 20, 20 something leader, Brenda, to say, you know, leadership is not about going to your business or going to your job to get something. You're there as a servant. You're there to serve others. And as leaders, we're there to serve the employees around us, the team we're leading, the project we're leading, we're there to serve. We're there to bring the most to everyone. Uh, if we go to work to get something, we got a jar, a snuck smell that we're carrying around with us. And what I mean by that is if I go to work to get money so that I can impress others with what I have, if I go to work to fund some recreational thing that I think brings my status up. If I go to work because I want to be the CEO someday and I want to have a title and I'm going to graduate from college and I'm going to be really important and I'm going to show the world. If we go to work with those intentions, we will burn out, we will flame out, we won't be as successful and we will change jobs because we are not happy. And what I'm here to say is leadership is about going to work to serve others. And it is the greatest gift we've been given in life is to go to work to serve others. And when you do that, you will automatically get the promotions because people will see you as a contributor. People will see you as a builder. You'll be just viewed in a different light. Yeah, I 
I love that. I find that service mindset, and I think it kind of is like a cousin of humility too. I feel like they come together a lot of the time. But whenever I'm in that place of service, I just feel really good inside. And it's interesting. Like I feel very lucky because my first job that I had was was, was a firm. So it was client service. So we were really, really taught what it means to be serving your client. Yeah. And I think I brought that with me everywhere and just always had the mindset of who's my client, who's my client. And it always made me feel really good. And it made it, it makes it feel also like the work is not just about the work, but it's about the people. And I'm personally much more motivated by people and by what you can create for other people. And I think that that's really important for uh, anyone who's listening to really think about and reflect on, because I think sometimes when we don't feel confident, we get really focused on our work product and the output that we're creating. And we forget that a lot of the value that's being added is through how we relate, how we connect, how we show up, our presence, our energy. And I would say that's at least 50% of the equation. Yeah. But we, uh, we, I think can tend to not focus on it or forget about it or even worse think, well, I'm not charming. I'm not charismatic. I'm not outgoing. So I'm going to rest a hundred percent on doing really, really good work. And it's so important to get out of that mindset. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I think we need to embrace our quirkiness, our awkwardness, our fears, you know, anything that keeps us from embodying that leadership energy and using who we are to inspire beyond the actual work that we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I am a, a recovering workaholic and I have suffered two major burnouts within both my careers. My career as a small business owner, which then prompted me to sell the business and then burnout in my corporate career, which basically was I just didn't learn the lessons of the first one. I guess I'm a slow learner, Jess, and you know, the universe knocked me a couple of times. And in both of those occasions, what I was doing with my work product was establishing my identity. And my identity of who I was as a person, how I would be viewed from the outside world was going to be reflected through my work product. And what happens to us over time is we will do something and we get validation and praise and it feeds that fear. There it is. That's what you're looking for. Let's get more of that. And it becomes a pace that we just simply cannot sustain. And so the hard lesson for me was learning that the title I had, the work I did was all my identity. And I had to spend a great deal of time reflecting on who was Brenda if she didn't have that business and who was Brenda if she didn't have that corporate job. And without that praise and validation, am I the same person? And the answer to that is yes, that I am. And the re, you know, I've done enough work today to tell you that I am the one who observes this life that I've been given, but that took a lot of work to get there. In the beginning, if someone had said, who are you? I would have said, well, I'm the director of learning and development for our global pharmaceutical company. I even did it today when you asked me to tell people about myself. These are the things that we hang our hats on. It's also the thing that can drive burnout and it's not sustainable. And so getting really clear about who we are as people and going to work as a servant um, makes our, it doesn't mean that our work is less important or that we don't achieve great things. We do. 
uh, we just do it with a much less stress environment and a lot less um, rumination over, oh, I should have done more, should have crossed that T better, <laughs> you know, oh, I forgot to do that. I have, a, I have a client who ruminates about everything, everything from how she introduces herself to decisions that she makes at home. And it, it literally, it's, it's exhausted her. Um, she's so worried about offending others. She's so worried about, you know, saying the wrong thing to people. And the question that I'll say back to her is, so you went to this meeting and you introduced yourself and you mentioned that you have more years of service than the other one. This is a real live example. She ruminated about that for days. And I said, so tell me then, how long do you think the person in the room ruminated about that? They didn't. They don't care. <laughs> they didn't care. They weren't offended. If you were worried about it, you bring it to them. You say, did I offend you? They say no or yes. You deal with that and then you move on. But to think about something so silly as that, and it's not silly when it's happening to us. It's real and it's painful and it's discomforting and it's all a consuming but we burn all that energy on that and it takes away from the ability to think creatively or to make solid decisions or to even find ways to be creative outside of work. Totally. And you know, the wild thing about that that I think about a lot too with rumination is that our minds aren't even employing any sort of objective logic when they decide what to ruminate about. So like, I'm not saying that she did, but she might have said some other random thing that offended someone that she has no idea that she said, and she's not ruminating about it because that's just not her mental patterning. So the, the outcome that we're trying to control, it's not controllable, but we're just picking these random things. So it's just, it's wild to see when someone gets really stressed about something that wouldn't stress me out, but then I get stressed about something that wouldn't stress them out. Our minds are really so subjective and we, it's so easy to forget that. Yeah, that personal mind is there to protect us. And if we can remember that, and it will tell us stuff that doesn't make sense. One minute it'll say something, and the next minute it'll be something totally contrary. You just can't listen to it. You have to find a way to tune it out and, and stay centered and focused and, uh, and not listen to it because that's not who we are. And that's not even the situation at hand. It's a, it's a constructed protection mechanism to protect us from all the things we have in our jar. Yeah, it's so, it's almost comical sometimes when you see what your thoughts are saying and how they're contradicting each other and sort of like, yeah. you'll be scared of one thing and then you'll like fix the thing and then it'll find a totally new thing to be scared of. And then after a while you start catching on and you're like, wait a minute, like you don't, you're not making sense anymore. Yeah, right. That's right. And I just want to quickly go back to burnout because I think with the situation that we're in right now with the pandemic, it's creating a lot of stressors in people's lives. And I just wanted to get your thoughts as someone who's been through a couple different cycles of burnout. If someone's starting to feel really drained, really physically, mentally, spiritually exhausted by what's happening, are there any small steps or tidbits of advice or encouragement you'd want to share with that person? Yeah. So, you know, I really define burnout from my own experience as expectations that we have from the belief systems that are not authentic to what is true for us. And it's under the spell of that, that we get into this unhealthy pace. 
into all that we just talked about. And so the small steps that you can take first is to recognize that you're facing it. And, you know, I can give you 10 things to do, uh, meditate, yoga, affirmations, prayer, whatever your beliefs are, you get what I'm trying to say. All of those things are really awesome. All of those things are things that we should do. But until we resolve the inner dialogue and reconfigure that inner narrative, the results are only going to be temporary. And I know that firsthand, having gone through it, gone through it twice. And if it keeps coming up, it means it hasn't been resolved. Once it is resolved, you will feel the release in your body and the, and the momentum and the intensity of the fear and the inner voice will begin to subside. It will never go away, but it will begin to subside. And it is in that process that you can regain your life, um, particularly in these times of burnout. So, you know, this is a particularly strange time. And I don't have any answers for it because it's all so new. All I know for myself is that just reflection on the dialogue that I hear and just saying to myself, what is true about that? What is it I need to learn? What is the emotion that I'm feeling here? And then just let it go. That's my go-to. And it's been that way for me for years. And it's, it's also working in this environment. Uh, all of this is temporary that we're experiencing. It's all temporary. Long, but temporary. <laughs> Long, but temporary. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, I wanted to ask you what it's like to work with you and where listeners can get in touch. Oh, yeah. They can um, go to my website, which is uh, com. You can get all information there. You can get uh, access to my calendar as well as ways to connect with me via the phone or email. My email is brinda at brindabairdcoaching. And I would love to hear from anybody who would like some coaching, whether they're a new leader or a seasoned leader, executive leader. Um, and if, particularly if they're female, I'm, I'm in on that. Fantastic. And I'll link your information below. And with that, I'm going to go into the closing questions. Today, we have four. So <laughs> some days there are two, some days there are three. Today, we've got four. Okay. The first one is really your advice for helping someone take proactive action to move their career forward. And I wanted to get your thoughts on actions people can take um, on a year time frame, a month time frame, and a week time frame. And so we'll start big and we'll start with thinking about a year ahead and the year ahead. What is something that they can do across a year to really begin pushing their career in the direction that they want? I think this is a fantastic question. And the reason that I think it's fantastic is I would bet that all the women who listen to your podcast are what we call self-improvers, right? They listen to the show. They, they're going to do these things, I say, for the year, for the month, for the whatever, because they're always looking for ways to, um, to improve. And so if I could persuade them to do something over the next year, it is to find a way to be less critical of themselves, however that is. Those limiting behaviors that we have as women, they're all rooted in our strengths. And so it is those strengths that are going to help you to move forward. So just being a little bit easier on yourself than um, 
during all the things you're going to do to improve yourself, whether that's work-related or spiritually or this mindset thing we've been talking about, all of it's going to require you to be less critical of yourself. And what can someone do on a one-month time frame? Yeah. So what do I want to have happen between now and one month from now? I don't know that I can answer these questions, Jess. I guess because of my coach training, what I know is that the answers to these types of questions are inside of each one of us. So I can tell you what I'm going to do. I can tell you what's right for me, but only the women listening are going to know what's right for them. And so I would say the next question is going to be this week or this month is to reach out for support because all the work that we're talking about cannot be done by yourself. Your brain, your mind, all these things that we say to it, they're so ingrained in us and we're holding onto our jar so tightly that you can't ask yourself the questions that are going to help you to take a look at it through a different lens, take a look at it through a higher energy, any of that. You need someone to walk you through it. So this week, this month, hire a coach, especially if you're struggling or if you feel like you're edging right to the edge of burnout, now's the time. Yeah, it's it's really also interesting because I think sometimes coaching is about the coaching and I think sometimes it's also about the relationship with the human, which is really fascinating because as a very logical, analytical person, I sometimes resist that and think, oh, I should be able to do everything on my own and I know what to do. But you can't really underestimate also emotional support and non-judgment and compassion because we don't always get that in the amounts that we need and in the ways that we need. And I think that can really do wonders for a person's spirit to have that dose of just, it's like this safe place to come back to. Yeah. And I think that's what coaching brings. As a coach, I'm not a best friend or have a you know a friendship relationship with my clients what i have is an honest safe trustworthy place of relationship where they can come and express things that they can't express somewhere else and know that no one's judging they know that during times of of you know confusion that i'm going to challenge their thinking in a respectful way so that they can gain perspective on what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it, uh, why they want that, why they don't want that. (laughs) And so coaching can really be a place to explore that. And so that's, that would be what I would say to them is, you know, my love note to them would be to, you know, you have the answers within yourself for what's right for you and what gets in the way of you expressing them and believing them and acting on them are these inner dialogues that are connected to your jar of skunk smell. And we just got to open that up and let it out. (laughs) This is making me think of times when I was little and you'd smell the skunk smell in the car. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's bad. It was discomforting. You're like, when is this going to end? I don't want, you know, yeah, this is awful. (gasps) But also when you're a little kid, it's also like weirdly exciting because it's hilarious and you get to like freak out and be like skunk. So, you know. (laughs) And if you couldn't see the skunk, that was even the most weird experience of all where you would like smell it and then you couldn't see it. Like, where was it? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's everywhere. It's <laughs> omnipresent. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and next of the closing questions is about a theme that I've been exploring, which is this idea that we might have a really lofty goal, like confidence or a really big career goal. But sometimes those goals get created in tiny moments, tiny instances where we make a new choice or show up a little bit differently. And I've really been loving asking everyone to share a tiny moment in their nine to five career that really represented a shift, even though it was a small moment, it was an important moment in their evolution. Yeah. So I've had two really big careers, my small business ownership, and then my second one in corporate. So I would like to jump to my corporate career, which is where I really feel like I learned the most about myself. And my most poignant moment was the realization that I held. It was around this expectation that other people would spontaneously notice and reward my contributions. And when that didn't happen, I was usually devastated, angry, unmotivated to some degree. And what I realized is that it was this whole thing that would happen to me around that was rooted in this belief that self-promotion, particularly as a woman, was somehow being arrogant. and. I always acknowledged contributions in other people, and I just thought that they would do the same for me without me sort of ringing my own bell, right? Um, so I had to take responsibility in my corporate job, particularly for getting noticed. And what that means is I had to tell my bosses what I was doing and, and, and the rewards that I was getting from that. I'm doing this with my team, and these are the results that I'm seeing. Um, I had to say out loud what my accomplishments were. And most importantly, I had to say out loud to them what was motivating me. Where did I want to see my career go? Some people are really scared to do that, particularly women. And we have to. If we, if we want to have a career path, the path that we choose, we have to tell somebody. So I think that was my, my real moment of, oh my gosh, I do do that. And I need to stop doing that. Yeah. Was thinking that, you know, it was just going to simultaneously happen to me without any, you know, acknowledgement and expression of my own. I really love that. And it's so interesting too, because I think there's so much merit in doing a scary thing. And, you know, no matter how much thought work you do, there are always these moments where you're in the moment and you have to choose the new behavior and it, it always feels really hard. And I think it's so important for us to acknowledge that as a challenge and then like really deeply celebrate it when we do that, no matter what the outcome is, because the thing to celebrate is being so brave in a situation where in the past, you know, you would have kept quiet or you would have not spoken up for yourself or talked about your accomplishments. We really have to learn how to have that sense of celebration of the act itself then without needing to get the reward because we did it, because sometimes we'll get the promotion and sometimes we won't, but we need to always be really proud of ourselves for taking that step. Yeah. I can remember one example early, early in my career when uh, some of the feedback that I got from my boss was um, she felt as though I wasn't establishing a strong relationships. So so L&D, in my early career, the location I was at was a part of the larger HR department, which as it is for a lot of folks. And the feedback she had is, I don't think that you're actually reaching out and 
reaching out to others in other departments and establishing those relationships until they come to you and need you to do something. And I remember getting that feedback and it knocked me between the eyes because I thought I was really great at establishing relationships. And I knew that I had regularly met with the leaders of every department and the directors of every function on a regular, it was on my calendar and I did it. And now you're telling me I didn't do it. And and it created this defensiveness in me about, oh, you obviously don't know what's going on because I do it. And then this moment helped me to reflect back on that to say, well, how would she know what I do? How would she know my calendar? How would she know all of my meetings? If in those one-on-one meetings with her, if I didn't say, hey, just, just so you know, I met with this director and this director and we just talked about, you know, we're here for you or whatever. She would have known then that I was building relationships and that even though these people were singing my praises, this was the feedback I got. So it's it's just one of those subtle examples of telling people what you do, expressing some of your accomplishments. And my accomplishments was I had strong relationships with those people. Yeah. I I remember really struggling with this and also just really struggling like in job interviews to talk about accomplishments, talk about things that I've done. And one thing that helped me a lot was to always start with the one that I'm really, really proud of. So like the one that really stirs emotion and pride, because then that would help me cascade into the other stuff too, that felt sometimes more uncomfortable to talk about or felt like that, you know, that sense of fear that we often feel of, you know, like, who am I to talk about what I've accomplished? Yeah, right. Who are you to talk about what you are accomplished is only you can talk about what you've accomplished. You know, we just have to reconfigure these thoughts that we have in our minds. And that's a classic, beautiful example of that. So if the inner message is, who am I to, you know, tell somebody what I've accomplished? You have to rewrite that to say, I am the one who needs to tell everyone what I've accomplished. Absolutely. And it can, it takes time to get there. And it being hard in the present is not a sign of what the potential that you um, have to get to in the future. So if someone's in a place where it still feels hard, that doesn't mean that it can't start feeling less hard as time goes on. And as you recognize that and do what you're saying, which is try to shift the story to one that is more empowering. That's right. That's right. And for one of my favorite questions, this is about the title of the show. Since you are a repeat guest, you're going to get a slightly different version. Okay. So this is about the title of the show, The Art of Speaking Up. And I usually ask, okay, what does the art of speaking up mean to you? But slightly different angle is just your thoughts for someone who is struggling to speak up or not speaking up freely. What message do you want that person to know? Yeah. So one of the great strengths about being a female in the workplace is that we have this innate ability to radar the room. Uh, We notice all kinds of things and we notice them all at one time. And so we walk into a meeting room and we just put the radar out and we're looking at who's sitting where, who's saying what, what's the look on their face. And in that, we're picking up cues for how people are feeling or reacting to what's going on. And this gets in the way of our focus. 
our focus of creativity, our focus of problem solving, critical thinking, it gets in our way. So I want to go back to some of the comments we made earlier about how the the constructs and the rules of the workplace are based on these men who created these spaces long before we ever got there. We're still operating, even though the times are changing, even though workplaces are changing. And as more women walk into the workplace and get to the table to make decisions, it will change even more. The thing we have to remember as women is we need to sort of shut down that radar and be more focused at the task at hand. And when we do that, we will be more likely to speak up because we're less worried about the vibe we're getting from something or you know these things we've radared out in the room that we can just look at the, the problem at hand and get right down to uh, the bottom line of it. So when it comes to speaking up, that's what we need to do. And we need to find a way to let go of our tendency for perfectionism, meaning whatever the bottom line is in your mind, you just need to say it because it could be the greatest idea ever. It could also be an idea that nobody's going to want to adopt, but you just have to overcome that tendency to, the, to not speak up because perhaps maybe my thought is it completely thought out. Maybe I don't have all the information I need. And you certainly don't want to start your expression of an idea with, I haven't really thought this idea up and I just want to share it. No, just say it. Just say, this is my idea. Being open to taking the risk that your thoughts and ideas are worth sharing is true. It's because it is true. Your thoughts and ideas are worth sharing. So be open to taking that risk. Yeah. And it truly is a risk and risks feel scary. The definition of risk is unknown and the definition of risk is downside. And also a risk partly exists because it can create upside. And I think sometimes we want the upside without the downside, but part of the growth is in accepting the fact that there are going to be some uncomfortable moments. There are going to be some times that don't work out as well as others, but that's the point. The point is to put it out there anyway. Yeah. I can't tell you how many workshops I've done just where I ask the group to tell me what are the qualities of a, of a solid leader. Risk-taking always comes up on that list. Yeah, of course, because how can you ever change anything if you're not willing to take a risk? And even in microwaves, if you're not willing to take a risk in a meeting or in a conversation, then you're going to limit how innovative your contribution can be. You're only going to contribute vanilla things. And if you are not ever willing to share the weird thing that you just thought of, and not all the weird things are good. Sometimes they're just weird. But like one in 10 weird things is really good. And you got to share the other nine sometimes, I find, to get to the 10th one. That's the sweet spot. Yeah, or sometimes the the weird idea triggers something in someone else and they add to, or you hear a weird idea from someone and then you can add to and the great idea is formed. So, you know, it be open to taking the risk that your thoughts are worth expressing and sharing because they are. Oh, I fully agree. Yeah. And <laughs> as soon as someone shares a weird idea, I feel like in everyone's head, we all think, oh, so weird, like weirdness is on the table. Now we can all share our weird ideas. It's a gift to the people around you. That's right. Yeah, that's <laughs> definitely what I need. So that's, that's me too. <laughs> and for the final question, which is my favorite question, 
This question is really related back to why I started the show, which is that I had a period in my career where I was really struggling with self-confidence. I didn't have any mentors. I didn't have any support. And I wanted this show to speak to any women listening who are either struggling to believe in themselves or who are wanting to feel stronger and more empowered in their careers. And so I just leave the space to you completely to share whatever's on your mind that you would want someone to know. Yeah. So I, I guess I just want to leave a love note. If I could just write it on a post-it and stick it on everyone's uh, phone or laptop or mirror in the morning is to say that you really can't fix these inner problems, call them problems with an outer solution. And so I, I, you know, I just write that down. I cannot fix my inner problems with an outer solution. Um, and you cannot do the work alone. You have to seek support. And that support can come in a variety of ways, you know, a trusted colleague, a mentor or a coach or whatever it is, but you really can't walk it alone um, because you can't objectively think and strategically ask yourself questions at the same time. So everything that happens at work uh, is absolutely a chance. It offers us an opportunity to have full examination of ourselves. Imagine going to work every day, feeling energized and excited, ready for anything that comes your way. That really is a possibility for all women who choose to have a career. And you can transform the way you think when you transform your concept of work and how you operate in it. And so that's my, that's my love note, Jess, <laughs> is I just want to help to show people how they show up in the world and for them to see that they have choice. Um, to do it the way that they think is best for them and to be in peace with that. Thank you so much, Brenda. You know, I, I, one last thing that I, I want to share. I mean, today um, I'm, I'm reflecting a little bit on the loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I, I know this will quickly um, date this podcast, but it's just on my heart she has so many quotes that are so profound when it comes to women and equality and rights and discrimination at work and things of that. But she has a quote that says, real change, enduring change happens one step at a time. And I feel like that sort of ties up everything about our, our time together today, the things you can do uh, one step at a time. And one step will give you relief in one area and it'll allow you to take the next step. So thank you so much. May, may Ruth rest in peace. And uh, thank you so much for having me on your show. I love it. Thank you, Brenda. Thank you so much for tuning in. I would love to hear what you thought about this week's episode. So feel free to reach out to me. It's always such a joy when I hear from you. And I'm also going to link Brenda's website in the show notes so that you can go and check out the work that she does. A big thank you to Brenda for coming back on the show. And come join me in the Facebook group. So this month I will be sharing tips and help for dealing with stage fright which I have a lot of experience in both at work and actually getting on stage and performing improv in front of people and singing in front of people, which is terrifying. And when you do terrifying things, you learn a lot and you get really strong. And I would love to share with you what I've learned so you can shortcut some of the pitfalls that I know I fell into when I was in my deepest struggle with stage fright and when it was like 
really, really intense and really, really hard for me to manage. So come join the Facebook group. You'll get to watch those videos and these trainings that I'm doing. And you can say hi and meet other people that listen to the show because the women who listen to the show are amazing. You are amazing. You're all amazing. And when I say that, I really do mean it. I appreciate you so much. And the feeling of community that this show has created has been amazing. And it's literally can't have community without you. So thank you for being a part of this. I appreciate it so, so much. If you're interested in getting help with me one-on-one, you can learn about that on my website, which I'll link below. It's justgusitcoaching.com. I basically coach on all of the topics that I am obsessed with and that I talk about on the show, which is building confidence and finding your voice and really learning what it looks like and feels like for you to feel powerful in your job, which I know can sometimes feel really, really far away, especially if maybe you're thinking, well, you don't feel powerful at all. I know that line of thinking and you can build power and confidence no matter where your starting point is. It doesn't require you to already be polished and have everything figured out. And in fact, it is the fact that you don't have everything figured out and that you're brave enough and willing to work on it and look at it and be courageous that is going to make you confident and give you the true deep skills of what it means to lead which I know is a little bit counterintuitive to how we think about things, but that is the truth. And hopefully that's a relief because it means that if you are struggling, that is fine. (laughs) That is not a problem. Of course, it's something that you want to get through and work through. And I totally understand that, but it's not a barrier. It doesn't have to keep you from where you want to be. I look at it as a portal, a doorway. It's a door and you just gotta figure out how to unlock the door. And once you've unlocked the door, not only are you past the door and on the other side of it, but you've also built the skill of learning how to unlock your own doors when you get stuck. This is why it's okay to struggle. Everyone does, you can't avoid it, so you might as well embrace it. But also never ever worry that because you struggle or because something is hard, it means you can't get to where you wanna go. That is simply not true. You can get to anywhere you want to go to as long as you are willing to do scary things, which is not always easy. That's why getting help can be so effective so that you don't talk yourself off the ledge and hold yourself back. If you're interested in learning more and you're interested in working with me, I will link my website below. And I want to thank you for being here and thank you for listening and for supporting the show. It is a gift for me to get to do this show, to get to talk with you, to get to serve you. So thank you. And I will catch you next week. Bye.